Good morning on this Sunday morning. Welcome to our devotional Golden Nuggets, food for thought and for the imagination. Yesterday we left off with David. We had given examples of uh, uh, Cain and Abel, David and uh, Bathsheba, uh, the woman caught in adultery, and uh, Peter and Judas, uh, all dealing with the conscience. How the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us not only dealt with the issue of our sin problem, how, but how it also dealt with the issue of guilt. Guilt throughout the entire world is a major issue in people's lives. For the Christian, we're supposed to deal with it with the blood of Jesus, have our sins cleansed and washed and forgiven, but it also deals with the conscience to the point that there reaches in the life of the believer a conscience that is pure and holy before God, that is undefiled. It can walk by the Holy Spirit. It can walk by the Word of God. It can walk by faith, being unhindered. But a conscience that has been affected by sin is one where we can find the example of David. This is before, of course, Christ had been crucified and had paid the price for our sins. But we see an example here. We get kind of like a, a close-up look behind at the world of the conscience. And this is what it says in Psalm 51, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David... When Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, it was not bothering him in the sense that uh, he had it nice and hidden as far as his sin was concerned. But it was when it was confronted by the prophet or let's say Adam. It bothered him when he heard the voice of God walking in the garden and he hid himself. And Cain, it bothered him when God asked him, where's your brother? So we begin to see something about the conscience that even though one may be alone and yes, the conscience can be bothering one, it seems to speak louder when it is confronted with the issue of sin. So David says... In Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. So David understood the loving kindness and the mercy of God, so he's pleading for that. It says in verse number 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So he acknowledges and he uses right here. We've already talked about his transgression. He mentions my transgressions. He mentions his iniquity. He mentions his sin. And each one of these is a missing of the mark. So that something in our lives has to be dealt with. It says in verse number 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
and it was ever before him because his conscience could not erase it. He could not get it out of the way. Of course, this uh, also dealt with he had had uh, one of his fellow uh, soldiers, uh, the husband of uh, Bathsheba, he had had him uh, basically killed by the way that he uh, told the 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 captain go and do this and then you know leave him in the forefront of the of the battle and let him be killed and just pull back so so there were several things that he did against god against man and it says in uh verse number 50 uh verse number 4 of psalm 51 against thee only have i sinned and done this evil in thy sight he recognizes that it was evil that thou may be justified when thou speakest, and be cleared when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, the inward parts of man. We talk about the spirit of man. We talk about, we talk about man when he is born again, how his uh, conscience is dealt with. We talk about man, his ability to worship in spirit. Uh, this, this, this was only possible after uh, Christ came because uh, the spirit of man was uh, fallen. It was separated from God and constantly needed to be uh, washed by the blood of the animals but yet the conscience would constantly remember the wrong or the failure that it had accomplished. He goes and says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8, Make me to know the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. How interesting. But yet, it's not until the New Testament that when Christ makes the grand sacrifice for us, that truly our sins are blotted out. God doesn't remember them no more. He doesn't want us to remember them no more. So He deals with our conscience, so that our conscience doesn't have to bring them back up over and over and over. He talks about, uh, in verse number 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's amazing all the things that that David goes and covers. He, he, he knows that God desires truth in the inward parts, the inward parts of man, his spirit, his soul. Uh, all of those areas that you cannot see uh, with the microscope that are only made visible to God himself. The one that, according to the book of Hebrews, is able to see right through, right with his word, uh, is able to discern the intentions and the thoughts of the heart simply because the, God, the word of God is alive. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged uh, sword. It's able to distinguish and separate between what is bone, what is marrow, what is spirit, what is soul, what is intention, and what is thought. 
That is absolutely powerful. So the Word of God deals with and can affect our conscience. And that's why when Jesus was uh, talking to the individuals that wanted to stone that one woman, he mentions and he says, let the first one without sin cast the stone. Because he knew that their own conscience would convince them or convict them that none of them were pure. Yes, they may have brought sacrifices to the temple. Yes, they may have offered the offerings that were required. But there was always a remembering of those past sins. Whereas with the book of Hebrews that we had read, with Christ, it is different. Uh, when the priesthood changed, so did the law. And in that change, it included then that the blood of Christ was now able to purify, purge, cleanse the conscience of man as far as dealing with sin, as far as dealing with wrong and right. Uh, man's conscience could be made right before God. And then he goes on still to uh, pray. In verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not away your Holy Spirit from me. All the things that he's asking are, are absolutely astounding. They are amazing because they all present for us the importance of knowing that God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance when he's dealing with us. And uh, yes, even Jesus told uh, the Pharisees there were white, whitewashed graves on the outside. They looked beautiful. They had been painted and trimmed up and everything. But inside, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. Talking about the condition of the heart, the condition of the individual. And then he says in verse number 12, after he had, after, after he had prayed, cast me not away from your presence, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, when we come to the New Testament, this is important because the devil is going to use this as darts, fiery darts, as arrows. He's going to use it to bring up our past and Continue to try to bring guilt and condemnation to us. According to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now. Not tomorrow. Not in the future. Not when we're in heaven. But there is, there is therefore now. No condemnation to them. Which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit. The condemnation comes because the accuser of the brethren, the devil, the slanderer, the devil, once again, is constantly accusing our minds and continually accusing our lives before God, saying they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. But if we can bring to the forefront the blood of Jesus, and say, by his blood, I have been cleansed. By his blood, I have been forgiven. By his blood, I have remission of sins. By the sacrifice of Jesus, my conscience has been purged. I am no longer 
a sinner, but I am a child of God, washed in the precious blood of Jesus. We begin to understand that we're using the hyssop, our tongue, to confess and to say exactly what God has said by his word concerning our lives. We're just simply agreeing with God in what he has already written or has spoken in his word concerning our lives. And all we are doing is saying the exact same thing that he has said about us. The scripture says in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So all I am saying is what God has said. If he is faithful and just, to forgive our sins if we confess our sins. Therefore, if he is faithful and just to forgive them, he's not going to bring them back up again, and we should not allow the devil to bring them back up again in our lives either. According to uh, 1 John 1, nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it goes on to say in 1 John, in chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It says in verse number 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we see that just like David found himself after his conscience was, well, after his conscience literally uh, was accusing him that uh, Nathan had come and spoken to him, he f we find him praying that, that prayer that we just mentioned. We didn't go into detail because it had so much in it. But what I did want to bring our attention to was in Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, that there is therefore now no condemnation. Now is the issue, not tomorrow. Uh, it, it does no good if I have to wait 10 years before I feel no condemnation. The condemnation is dealt with the moment that we realize and recognize that Jesus has already done the work for us. And then it goes on to say in verse 2, For what the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, it's the law of sin and death that condemned me, that convicted me, that sentenced me to the penalty of death. But Christ has already dealt with that by having condemned sin in the flesh. It says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak, through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is what he has done in us 
by his sacrifice to make it possible that we have a right standing before God. We are justified just as if we had not sinned. The demands of the law are met and we walk no longer by uh, sight, but we walk by faith, we walk by love, and we walk by his spirit. Consider this food for thought and for the imagination. Join us tomorrow as we continue along this line. But until then, the Lord richly bless you. Amen.